from the era that brought you names like Chamberlain, Russell, and West. The Chamberlain, he's got it! Jerry West made it from the other side of the mid-court strike! To the glory days of Magic and Kareem. And Magic Johnson is out there celebrating! Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is on the brink of an NBA all-time record. A time where last-second shots were expected. Here comes Kobe. From way outside. Got it! Oh, man! Gets it to LeBron. For three for the win! Yes! And rings were handed out like candy. Here's Jordan. Yes. It's Duncan Dynasty with your host, Garrett Bougay, and it starts right now. Welcome to another episode of Duncan Dynasty. I'm your host, Garrett Bougay, and this week I've got a very special guest. He's a fellow Sports Business Classroom alum. He's also a regular on the program, and you guys uh, that are uh, Duncan Dynasty fanatics know him from our uh, annual League Pass radio episodes we do every year, but uh, I've got him on to talk All-Stars this week, and his name is Evan Dial. Evan, thanks so much for, for coming on. My pleasure, Garrett. Always a good time hopping on. I appreciate it. Now, uh, we're going to pick our uh, 12 All-Stars in the East and our 12 All-Stars in the West. Obviously, the teams uh, were fully announced. The reserves were announced last night. So uh, we're going to uh, we're going to ignore who was actually picked, and we're going to decide who we would have gone with if we had total power in this scenario to pick the teams. So uh, we're going to start by uh, picking the starters, then we'll do like our, our locks that we have amongst the reserves, and then kind of the, the end of the, the rotation there. But uh, before, we, before we get into our teams, Evan, one thing that you know I've been seeing circulating online and in the Twitterverse is this whole idea of you know how much do you value uh, in terms of when you're making these selections, how much do you prioritize what a player has done, for, like their reputation, and, and what they've done, say, last postseason or throughout their career versus what the guy has done over the course of these however many games, 30-plus games that we've seen in this particular 2021 season. So I don't think I value it too much because usually I say each season's different and I'll just go with who's the better guy, who's putting up better numbers. But if it's close and there's like a tiebreaker scenario then yes, I'll probably usually go towards the veteran guy who's been had more All-Stars or more playoff success or wins, what have you. So in that sense, yes, but, I mean, if the gap is wide between new then no. Yeah, I, I feel very similarly. Yeah, I use, I use a player's track record, who the better guy is, for, for a tie-breaking scenario, but... Uh, I was surprised to see all of the talk about how many people were just basically discarding the 30 games we've seen this year and saying, I would, I, I much rather would just pick the guy that I thought was better last postseason. I find that to just be utterly bizarre because, as you said, we do this every year. This is the 2021 All-Star team. So it, it's it's odd to me to, to put that much emphasis on on prior seasons. Yeah, I mean, I don't really get it either. (laughs) 
but uh, it just it just kind of how how it is. People get on reputation past. Um, you know, people on the newcomers, they're just like they're hard to accept. Some people are just like, are they really an all star? But we'll we'll get into a few of the newcomers. Yeah. So so let's uh, let's hear who you have, Evan, as your uh, Eastern Conference starting lineup. So my East starters were Joel Embiid, Giannis, Bradley Beal, James Harden, and Jalen Brown. Ooh, interesting. Okay, so you've got uh, you've got Beal in there instead of Irving, and then Jalen Brown ahead of Durant. So yeah, I um. This is too much time for me at this point. Durant, you said, yeah. Um, yeah. He's so Durant has played in nineteen of the team's thirty-three games, which yeah, that you know, missing fourteen of thirty-three—that's a significant number. But he still played over half. I would say. You know, if I had to have some, like, arbitrary cutoff point, I would say you've got to play in at least half your team's games to be eligible at all. Um, so right. uh, so that would be why I, I do have Durant in here. And I just think, you know, despite the missed games, he's played at an MVP level, so he's in my starting lineup. My lineup is, uh, you know, similar front court, uh, Joel Embiid, Giannis. I've got Durant in there, and then I have Harden and Irving. So uh, our uh, differences there, I've got Irving instead of Beal and Durant instead of Brown. But to be honest, I really love your inclusion of Jalen Brown. He's, uh, you know, we're, we're going to get into our reserve locks. He's one of my locks, uh, but uh, he is having a fantastic season. And I really, especially given that he has played more, played more minutes and games than Durant, I, I really don't have much to complain about that, uh, about that decision. Yeah, he's been awesome and has played the most games. He's a two-way player, career year, 25-5-4. And, and I just, even though the Celtics are struggling, I, I just had to give him a shout-out. He's been awesome, and God knows where they would be without him right now. Yeah, exactly. Um, so the, the, the one decision there that I am interested in, in sort of debating you on is the whole idea of, of Beal instead, uh, instead of Irving. Now, uh, Irving did have that weird stretch. I don't know how much you're um, discrediting him for that seven-game absence or whatever that we still don't fully understand why he was out. It's part of it. <laughs> yeah, um, but Irving has been sensational. He's averaging over 27 points a game, 5.8 assists, 55% from mid-range, 40% from three. Also, you know, career low turnover rate, 9.3%. Uh, so he is having a, a phenomenal season. And Bradley Beal certainly putting up, you know, sensational scoring numbers, just, you know, leading the league in scoring at 32.7 points per game. But, you know, not necessarily as efficient as Irving. And also, you know, the Wizards have, have clearly not been uh, as good of a basketball team as, uh, as the Irving-led Nets. Yeah, so this was my closest, and it was between Beal and Irving. Beal's 32-5-5. Irving's 27, 4, and 5, but you're right, Irving's more efficient. Irving missed the seven games. Beal, he's only missed one or two. I mean, it was close, but I just kind of, this is where I give the nod to Beal. I mean, Beal's asked to do so much. <laughs> yeah. And just the burden he has on a nightly basis for them to just even be in the game is incredible. So that's the only reason I gave him a nod. Irving, though, man. 
he's he's honestly my favorite player to watch. That dude's skill level and shot making is just bananas, absolutely bananas. Yeah, uh, Beal, you know, shooting fifty two percent from long mid range and uh, has nearly thirty five percent usage. You know, I I gave him a bit of a downgrade just because of how bad the Wizards have been, although they've been better lately. Well, yeah, uh, five game win streak. Yeah, uh, but uh, you know, Beal is on my team. He actually didn't even make my reserve locks, but he did make my team. But uh, yeah, certainly a, a deserving All Star. So, how many guys did you have as locks for the reserve group, and uh, who did you have? Okay, so I have four absolute locks: Durant, okay. Irving, Jason Tatum, and Ben Simmons. Wow. Okay, I'm I'm very excited for for the discussion about Ben Simmons because he did not make my team. Um. So so my locks were were Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and Chris Middleton. So I did not have Ben Simmons obviously there, and then uh, we already mentioned that uh, that I didn't have Beal. So that's why I had three locks compared to your four. But uh, yeah, let's let's get into Ben Simmons. Make your case for why he not only should be on the team, but uh, he should be a lock. Uh, okay, so I know he started the season slow, um, but since he is probably in the conversation for Defensive Player of the Year. He's averaging fifteen eight and eight. His efficiency is improved. He's getting to the line, and he's on the best team in the East. He was of my locks, of course. He is the shakiest of the locks. But I know he. some people will say, say Tobias Harris has been better. I think Ben Simmons has clearly been their second best player. And I do reward the winning team a bit here. It was close, but his just two-way and all-around game, I gave it to him. But there's, there's lots to debate here. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I agree, I'm in agreement that he's been their second best player. Uh, I'm not nearly as high, although I think he's had a tremendous defensive season. I think just the position he plays and the role he plays on defense doesn't provide the value of, say, a, a, a rim-protecting center, for instance, the guy on his own team in Joel Embiid or a Rudy Gobert. So I don't quite have him in that defensive player of the year. Uh, contention, even though, yes, he's he's certainly an all-defensive level player and, and probably will make my first team if, if I had to put it together today. But, you know, the you mentioned that the Sixers have the best record in the East. I think that's damning with faint praise because the Eastern Conference is just pretty weak this year. The Sixers have just the ninth best net rating in the NBA. They're only outscoring teams by a total of 1.9 points per game. So they're not this, you know juggernaut of a basketball team so the second best player on a slightly above average basketball team isn't uh, you know a lock to make the all-star game but you know yes he's been great defensively offensively I think he's done he's done a tremendous job in in transition the Philadelphia actually scores 15.9 points more per transition play uh, with uh, with him out there on the floor uh, but here's a stat that I thought was interesting and just goes to show you like you know that Joel Embiid is the engine of this team as opposed to as opposed to Ben Simmons. Uh, Philadelphia is getting outscored by 13.8 points per 100 possessions when Simmons is on the floor and Embiid is off. And when you flip that, it's still negative, but when Embiid is on and Simmons is off, it's just minus 3.6. Oh, I mean, that's the case for them. 
like every year. That doesn't surprise me at all. And of course, Embiid is worlds better than Ben Simmons. There's no, I think Embiid might be my MVP right now. I just think Ben Simmons, I mean, he's done a good job in the games that Embiid was out. He had that career high game in Utah where they lost. He dropped 42. Uh, he just, he has the all around game and the winning, but it, it's tough. And I'll get you soon to the other guys I have right there with him. Yeah, so let's talk about uh, let's talk about Chris Middleton because he was the 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 main guy that was left off the All Star teams when they were announced yesterday. That I was just absolutely uh, perplexed <laughs> by that decision. Uh, I have him on my team. Yeah, so Middleton sixty eight percent at the rim, forty seven percent from the mid range, forty three percent from three. He's also you know one thing that I think has has really made the Bucks one of the best offenses in the NBA, and I also think makes them a little bit more dangerous come playoff time is Middleton has upped his playmaking. He's at a career-high 23.9% assist rate. They're, they're running a lot more actions with Giannis as the screener in the pick-and-roll, uh, but uh, you know Middleton doing doing really well. And, and also, I love this stat. When Middleton is on the floor and Giannis is off, the Bucks have a 125.2 offensive rating. So, I mean, they've also been giving up about 125 points in those minutes, but uh, the, yeah. their offense has been fantastic with or without Giannis, and I think you've got to give a ton of that credit to Chris Middleton. He's been awesome. I absolutely love Chris Middleton. He's such a good shooter. It's ridiculous. Uh, can score an ISO pick a roll. His playmaking has improved, as you said. I think people always just dismiss him some just way too easily and just think he's just kind of like a spot-up guy, but he can really score. I think we saw that at the end of that Miami series last year in the playoffs when Giannis went down. Middleton had that epic game four that somehow they won. Yeah. And I mean, that was honestly one of the more impressive performances I've seen. I think he's great. Um, I didn't put him in lock, but he made my team for sure. I love Chris Middleton. No arguments there. Then let's get to the the Celtics wings. Then again, you had Brown as a as a starter. I had him as a reserve lock. But yeah, he's just had a phenomenal year. Seventy two percent at the rim, forty five percent from mid range, forty one percent from three. His assist rate is up. His usage is up significantly. Uh, yeah, he has uh, he has taken a gigantic leap, gone from really you know a sub all star level to closer to all NBA level. To be frank. He's, yeah, he should be. Brown is a two-way player, and yeah, then I had Tatum and Locke. And Tatum's, let's see, 26, 7, and 4. Obviously, he had COVID, missed some time, came back, but he's still a really good two-way player. Uh, they definitely, they both were and should both be on it. Yeah, one one stat I found interesting with Tatum is that his attempts at the rim are down. He 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 attempted thirty two percent of his uh, his shots last year at the rim. That's down to twenty five percent this season. Now I think part of that is due to the fact that Boston, without Hayward, with Smart missing a ton of time, they've had to play a bunch of two big lineups. So there hasn't been as much spacing on the floor. So he's resorted to more of those mid rangers that we saw a lot in his rookie year, but. Still, you know, pretty efficient given he's he's shooting thirty nine percent from from downtown on a decent amount of attempts, and and yeah, the playmaking is still up. We saw his 
his improved passing in, in last year's playoffs, and that's continued this season. The two of them are really the only reason Boston's even in the playoff conversation. If, if you take either one of them off the team, all of a sudden I think they're, they're really, really struggling. Yeah, I mean, they, they've been tough to watch for Garland. I mean, the time Tatum did miss was rough, and now that they're even back, it's just those two are just holding down the fort, just taking tough mid-rangers. Yeah. Um, it's, it's been a rough season for Boston. Yes, it has. Uh, but again, the East has been so poor that uh, they're still right in the thick of things. And, you know, uh, if, if you go on a, uh, a five or ten game win streak or something in the second half of the season, you can rocket up those standings and, and potentially still get home court in the East. So. They, exactly. they've, they've still got time to figure it out, and uh, hopefully Smart will be back soon. That'll, that'll uh, give them a boost as well. So we, we've, uh, we've announced nine players for your team and eight for mine. So uh, I'll just mention my number nine guy that I have, and that is Bam Adebayo. Again, the rest of these guys are not locks. They're just spots nine through 12. But Bam, you know, career high, 81% shooting at the rim. Uh, 42% from mid-range. He's up to 85% from the line. So his shooting touch is, has significantly improved, which is uh, which could pay dividends for the for the Heat come playoff time, if, if the Heat make the playoffs, that is. Uh, but uh, he's continued to be a really great playmaker from the elbow area with a 28.4 assist percentage. And, you know, the Heat are eighth in defensive rating, and given the time that Butler has missed, given that they they no longer have a, another stout wing in Jay Crowder, you know, Maurice Harkless has not been able to fill that role that well, uh, and, and they're playing heavy minutes with the likes of Dragic and, and uh, Hero and Robinson. The fact that they're a top-10 defense, I think you've got to give a ton of that credit to Bam Adebayo. I had Bam. He was my last player on, but I had him. He does deserve a lot of credit. Two-way, he's improved so much on offense this year, and they really needed to him. They've really struggled to score, especially in the parts that Butler missed and Drogic's been gone for a while. He's shooting the mid-range better. He's driving more. Defensively, he's still ridiculous, both as a switch guy and a rim protector. And I, I give a lot of points for the guys who just keep teams afloat. And he definitely has done that maybe more than anyone, so he made it for me too. All right, so yeah, um, we both had Bam, and then yeah, I, I mentioned I had Beal in these last couple of slots. Uh, the 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 last one I'll talk about before I get to my the the decision I had over the the twelfth and final spot in the East is uh, Trey Young. I've got him on my team. Ooh, I don't. Okay, so I guess I'll, let me let me make the case for Trey, and, and then I can hear your thoughts as to why you might have had him off. But uh, Young averaging 27 a game, 9.6 assists. The, the Atlanta team is 11.8 points better per 100 possessions with him on the floor. He's shooting 42% from floater range, 37% from three. He's got a 43.6% assist rate. And uh, this is the this is the best stat, and why Trey Young is so effective is his free throw rate. Uh, for every 100 shots he takes, he gets to the free throw line 57.6 times. The guy is just uh, you know a foul drawing machine. Okay, so it came down to Trey Young and Zach Levine for me. Okay, and and you picked Levine, which uh, Levine of course ended up making the team. Yes, 
So they're both terrible at defense, obviously. So that's a wash to me. And then on offense, A, I think the Bulls are actually overperforming a little bit, and I think the Hawks are underachieving a little bit. And Levine's efficiency with the difficult shot making, and I've never been a big Levine fan, but, I mean, you just can't ignore the numbers and the efficiency combo this year anymore. And he's doing it a lot in the clutch. I mean, 28-5-5. And when he gets hot, it's like, it's just absurd. It's absolutely ridiculous. Trey Young's obviously really good. He's the engine. And I do get the point that when he rests, they're terrible. But there's just so many times, like, he's just turned in, like, I just want a little more off the ball. And I don't know if it's more the coaches, but the Hawks and him just sometimes leave me wanting more. It could be, this could be a personal thing. <laughs> but I think Levine just the slight edge. So I, I, I guess my first question for you is: You mentioned that you think the you know the Bulls are overperforming offensively, which would I, I would agree with, uh, and and I would also agree the Hawks are underperforming. There, I think they're sitting at eleventh right now on offense. Um, but are they underperforming because of Trey Young, or are they underperforming because of all of the massive injuries that they they've uh, they've gone through? And in fact, I'm pretty sure. Uh, in last night's loss to Cleveland, they they only had eight available players. That's, oh, and that was a brutal. I don't know if you. I watched the end of that game. It was a brutal loss for them. Absolutely brutal. Um, obviously, the injuries have been a part of it for sure. I mean, DeAndre Hunter and then John Collins, I think, went down again. It's been rough. Bogdanovich. Yeah, Bogdanovich. Gallinari's been at missed some time and hasn't been very good. I think they should be better, and I think some of that has to be on Young. I mean, he went through that really, he was so cold sometimes. Like, he had a really rough shooting patch early in the season after a hot start when the refs were starting to give him less calls, and he does nothing off the ball. That it just, it leaves me a, a little a little cold sometimes, but maybe it's recency bias. I just watched him recently, and I'm just like, Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the um, Hawks are 11th in offense, 22nd in defense, and 17th in point differential. Uh, the The thing with with Levine, and I agree that he's had this spectacular individual offensive year. You know, again, putting up over 28 points a game, efficiency through the roof, 68% at the rim, 45% mid range, 43% from three. Uh, but you know, he also doesn't provide the playmaking that Trey Young does to, to set teammates up and really make anyone better. Uh, I think that's one big difference between the two on the offensive end. And then also defensively, you know, yes, you can, uh, I agree they're both atrocious defensively, but, you know, the Hawks haven't been significantly worse with Trey Young on the floor defensively, whereas when you look at Zach Levine, the Bulls are uh, 13.5 points per 100 possessions worse with him on the floor defensively. He just absolutely destroys their defense when he's on the court. Look, I get it. I, I, I've never been a Zach Levine fan. It was honestly a little hard for me to, to put him on. But <laughs> he, he finally just has become enough of a good decision maker, shot maker, and efficient enough where I was like, okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he certainly has had he certainly has had games where I watch him and I go, man, this guy just seems like a you know he's a top ten player. He's just unstoppable. Um, but... oh, my God, yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. 
just when he gets going, it's it's at, it's special. But yeah, um, I, I I honestly like even though I I did have uh, quite a few complaints with the roster that ended up uh, getting picked for especially in the Eastern Conference, uh, you know. The guys that got selected, I think, in a in a regular year, I, I, I wouldn't really mind. I think they're all-star worthy. I certainly think Levine is putting up all-star caliber numbers, but I just uh, I think there are certain guys that maybe deserve it a bit more. Let's get this to one of the toughest years I thought ever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's been it's been really challenging. So have we mentioned all your guys? Yeah, that's my team. Okay, so we're down to my final spot, and. Uh, I actually had a choice, and and it's funny that uh, having you on here as a as a big time Hornets fan, uh, that I'm going to be the one that's saying this. But uh, I've got Gordon Hayward making my final spot on my All Star team. Oh, let's go! I love it. He was so. I had five in my honorable mentions. Actually, six <laughs> that I really could, which showed how hard it was this year. Yeah. Frankly, yeah, for the last spot, I was considering Sabonis, Trey Young, Fred VanVleet, Julius Randle, Gordon Hayward, and Nikola Vucevic. Yeah, all all those guys were in my honorable mentions, and and my my actual final decision came down to Gordon Hayward versus Jimmy Butler. Um, and the reason I the reason I didn't pick Jimmy Butler is kind of what we we brought up at the the outset that uh, you know it's yeah. more about this season, and frankly, you know. Hayward has played nine more games than Butler. Yeah, he just uh, missed a little too much. Yeah, and, you know, I would probably say that Butler, you know, if you had to just say minute by minute, he's been, or pound for pound, he's been the better player over Hayward. But just the, those those extra nine games is too much to overcome. And, and Hayward's having a terrific year, you know. In, in his 28 games, the Hornets are uh, 14 up and 14 down. I think they've they've overachieved uh, and played a lot better than than what I certainly expected. And he's averaging 21.9 points, 5.4 rebounds, 3.7 assists, 60% true shooting, and the Hornets are you know plus 4.2 per 100 when when Gordon's uh, on the floor. He he has blown me away at how good he's been. He's so efficient. He's so poised and calm. And we really need it to him when things get bad or, you know, a bad runner is happening or something. He's the guy who stabilized us. He's actually been, he's been okay on defense, too. He keeps the ball moving. He gets us the tough buckets. I don't hate it at all. I love him. He's been awesome, and we've needed a player like him for forever. So Yeah. So let's talk about the couple of guys that actually made the team that neither of us had on our rosters, and that's Julius Randle and Nikola Vucevic. So let's start with Randle. And, you know, Evan, I'm curious, you know, the Knicks are, with with head coach Tom Thibodeau, they're third in defensive rating this season. How much credit do you give Randle for the team being at, you know, that high up on, on the defensive side of the ball? Yeah, so I consider Randall a lot. I like Randall. Uh, my brother is a Knicks fan, so I watch the Knicks a lot. They're actually fun this year. <laughs> yeah. And Randall, he came into the year in probably the best shape I've seen him. He's shooting better. He's playmaking better. His defense is like, he for as your to answer your question, no, he's not the driver of their top defense. I think a lot of that's Tibbs, and I think a lot of it is just. They have a lot of, like, they're, they're just big and long, and they don't have, like, a lot of terrible defenders. Well, I think just at the center position, they've got really good rim protection with Robinson yeah. and uh, Noel. 
Exactly, and even like Taj Gibson's come in and been solid on defense. Like they're good up front. So Randall, I don't think gets too much credit for that, but like I, I really considered him. Like when they need a bucket, they go to him. He's their driving engine on offense, and their offense really does not much, have much else besides him. Besides like, well now they got Derrick Rose, but occasionally it was just like let's hope quickly gets hot and Randall puts up numbers. Yeah, I mean they're 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 twenty fourth in offense and. Uh, you know, I, I don't. I I think that's a pretty decent result given the talent and the, the lack of shooting that team has. And uh, they have such little shooting, it's like incredible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Randall, as you said, you know, shooting it well, forty six percent from the mid range, forty two percent from three, and they've also you know made him more of kind of the point forward. He's he's got a twenty five point three assist rate, so that's been that's been fun to watch as well as uh, him yeah, sort of initiating the offense. Wow, I didn't see that pass coming. Kind of passes, which has surprised me. Yeah, it's I don't. It's not a knock on him. It's just like deep, and like the other guys are just like slightly better. <laughs> yeah. Now um, the other guy I mentioned, Vucevic. You know, again putting up great offensive numbers, nearly twenty-four points a game, almost twelve rebounds, three point seven assists, shooting thirty-nine percent from three. Uh, you know the on-off numbers do not look good. Uh, the the Magic are 13.3 points worse per 100 with him on the floor, but I think a lot of that has to do with all of the injuries and the fact that he's the only NBA caliber starter in their in their uh, opening lineup. It's, it's uh, been brutal in Orlando this year. <laughs> They've just been decimated. But you know he's he's another guy that you know does not bring much defensively. And uh, yeah, the fact that Orlando has been so poor made me, you know, not not consider him as seriously as some of the others. But uh, you know, he he did uh, ultimately make the the actual team. Yeah, and I have no like huge gripes with it, but for me, they were just too terrible, and it's kind of like, well, someone needs to score, kind of thing. And he just gets so many touches because, I mean, rightfully so, he's literally all they have on offense on most nights. I mean, they're some of the lineups they play are just like, oh my god, <laughs> yeah, this is this is rough. Now, uh, when when we were uh, texting, uh, you know, trying to schedule this this podcast, you you jokingly or maybe half jokingly mentioned that you had considered Terry Rozier for for the team. But uh, is there anything you wanted to to say about uh, your man Terry? Uh, I look. Took a little too long to get going, but he deserves a shout out. Uh, I did not like when we signed him. I was never the biggest Terry Rozier fan, and he has proven me wrong. He's become such a good shooter, and again, he's a guy who, when he gets hot, it's just like it's lava. Um, he, I mean, he had that game winner this weekend against Golden State. He's averaging 21 points per game on good efficiency. I think his defense has been a little better this year too. He's, he's a lot stronger this year. He's getting to the rim more. He just, that guy works. And the deal that most people hated at the time, it became good. So I got to give him credit. He's balling. Yeah, that ending of that Warriors game was absolutely insane with Draymond picking up the insane. technical and and uh, then Rozier hitting the step back along the left sideline for the win. was So uh, that was that was crazy. And, yeah, he had hit, I think, three or four shots right preceding that uh, that, that game winner. But, 
Yeah, his his shooting touch has been phenomenal. 46% from three, 51% from mid-range. Yeah, just shooting the lights out. He, he certainly deserves a shout-out. So let's move to the West then, Evan, and let's, uh, let's hear who you have as your uh, Western Conference All-Star starters. Okay, to the West, I have LeBron James, Damian Lillard, Steph Curry, Nikola Jokic, and Kawhi Leonard. We are in complete agreement. Yeah, the West, I think those were, were a little more straightforward. Yeah, especially since, you know, Anthony Davis has been out and has missed some, some time here as of late. Yes, exactly. And so the only argument, I think, is the Luka over either Dame or Steph. Um, I give it Dame. I, he gets more points because, I think, again, Portland's overachieving with the injuries they have. He's passing at a career-high level. He takes over in the clutch. And 29-4-8, and eight, like, he's a, he's been ridiculous. Yeah. is at 35-6, and six, so I think they both deserve the nod. Yeah, I mean, the... Uh, I, I frankly don't think Luca has much of an argument over Dame or Steph. As, as you said, I think the... Um, you know the Blazers have overachieved. The Mavs have underachieved, and uh, you know while while that's not a, it's not certainly um, you know all Luca's fault. He's had he's put up great individual numbers, but the Dallas offense hasn't been quite as prolific as it was last year. Their defense has been significantly worse, uh, and and yeah, Lillard, the Blazers at eighteen and thirteen, and and you already referenced the the clutch play as well he is uh he has dragged them out uh, in uh, on numerous occasions and yes yeah, Steph is Steph is putting up like 20 like 15 his first MVP season type numbers I mean he's he's just ridiculous the you know 44 percent from three on 344 attempts this season uh 53 percent from mid-range and and Golden State they're they're nineteen point five points better offensively with Steph on the floor. He is ridiculous, and you're right. He's been as good as his MVP years, and he's been getting better and better as the season's gone on. I mean, as it's thirty points, five and six, he had that monster. Like he's had a fifty-seven point game, some just huge scoring games, and it's like. Again, he's kind of like Dame, too. He's carrying that team. There's not much else on the Warriors, and they've been pretty good and will probably be a playoff team. So I agree. I don't think it's that close between Dame, Steph, and Luka. Yeah, so uh, let's move to the, the front court again. We, we both agreed that it was LeBron, Leonard, and Jokic. For LeBron, you know, what he's doing as a 36-year-old is just absurd. 25.8 points, uh, 8.2 rebounds, 8.1 assists. Uh, you know, he did get off to this crazy shooting start from three, but, uh, you know, that has uh, that has fallen back to earth. He's now down to 35%. But, uh, you know, the Lakers, as, as basically every team he's ever been on, are significantly better when he's out there. And he's continued to show what he did last season, which is, you know, combine the Brilliant offensive play with consistent effort on D. Yeah, I mean, as he's for thirty six, ridiculous to that twenty five and eight eight. His analytics, I mean, the RPM numbers, all that are still amazing. He's good on defense. I know they've hit a little bit of a wall recently, but they'll be fine. And he's still just, he's still the best player in the league to me. Yeah, um, he certainly will. You know. We'll uh, we'll go into the playoffs as the uh, the prohibitive 
favorite not only with the team but also the favorite to to win another uh, finals MVP unless someone uh, is able to take the crown and uh, one of those guys that'll be trying to do that uh, is Kawhi Leonard and he is having another terrific season 27 points per game on uh, close to 62 percent true shooting uh, shooting great from everywhere, 73% at the rim, 49% from mid-range, 40% from three. And also, you know, a career-low turnover percentage for Kawhi at just 7.5% this season. Yeah, he's been awesome. He looks healthier than he has in a long time. He's just in complete control right now. He's efficient. I mean, as a 27-6-4, and four, the Clippers are really good. They're like third in offense right now, and he's a big part of that. I mean, yeah. He's just, he's Kawhi Leonard. He's a beast. Yeah, hasn't been sitting out. You know, he's even played a, a few back-to-backs this season, so seemingly he's uh, even more healthy from that uh, uh, quad tendinopathy he had, uh, you know, dating back a few years ago in his uh, final year with San Antonio. And then uh, at the center position, I don't know about you, but uh, this wasn't uh, much of a uh, this wasn't a hard decision to uh, to put Nikola. Much of a thought exercise. Yeah, Nikola Jokic just having. Uh, I mean, these numbers are absurd. Twenty-seven points per game, ten point nine rebounds, eight point four assists, one point seven steals, shooting sixty percent on twos, forty-one point two percent on threes, over eighty-seven percent from the line, uh, over a thirty-seven percent assist rate. And uh, despite Denver having the fifth-ranked offense in the NBA, they're still 12.8 points better offensively per 100 with him on the floor. I mean, he's, I mean, he's, uh, you know, he's the best offensive player in basketball, I think, bar none. I agree. And if Denver wasn't having such a disappointing year, he would be more in the MVP race. He's, he just clowns dudes. I mean, with the pass fakes, the the half spins, the shot fakes. I mean. He just puts dudes in a torture chamber. He's got the three ball going. He's in the best shape I've ever seen him. He's so smart. It's ridiculous. He's my favorite player to watch. Him and probably Kyrie Irving. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we'll see if, if Denver can, can figure things out. And, yeah, if they, if they climb up the standings and get into a top four seed, yeah, he'll be right there in contention for, for MVP. Uh, so, so, Evan, let's move now to uh, – the, the reserves, and, and how how many reserve locks do you have, and, and who are they? I have four reserve locks. Okay. So Luka, Paul George, Zion, and Rudy Gobert. Wow, okay. Um, so so are, are, you, uh, are you considering Anthony Davis, or are you just not going to mention him because he's, he's going to be replaced? Yeah, I put him as the going to be replaced so i picked him and then i picked a replacement for him because i'm assuming he's not going to play but i mean so would would davis have been a lock had it not been for the injury oh yes yes for sure okay otherwise so um we have uh we have a, a a discrepancy then because uh let's see you said you said gobert Doncic, paul george and who is the other Zion. one? And Zion. Okay, there's the discrepancy. So I also have Anthony Davis in this in this lock tier, and then uh, I've got uh, I do not have Zion in the lock. I have Chris Paul as a lock. Okay, he's on my team, but not a lock. Okay, so um, I'll just uh, uh, talk about uh, CP3 here and why I think he you know he's 
He's a lock. 16.6 points, 8.5 assists. You know, he, he never puts up these amazing counting stats, but that really doesn't uh, explain the value that of having Chris Paul in your basketball team. The Suns have jumped up all the way to sixth in defense. I think a big portion of that uh, is because of Chris Paul, not only his play and his ability as a as a bulldog, a guy that can switch multiple positions, good help defender, good with his hands, but also just his leadership. I think he gets guys to play at a little bit higher of a level. Uh, the The real interesting thing when I was looking through, you know, um, and and we'll get to whether or not uh, we we have Devin Booker on our respective teams, but when I was looking at the lineup data of, uh, you know, lineups where Chris Paul's on the floor and Booker is not, the Suns are uh, plus 14.1 points per 100 possessions, absolutely killing teams. And and a, a large part of that uh, probably was boosted by that game against New Orleans where I think they beat the Pelicans, uh, or they outscored the Pelicans 41-12 to in the fourth quarter with largely those uh, Paul and four bench guy lineups. Um, and then on the opposite end of that, uh, the, the Devin Booker, no Chris Paul lineups are plus 13.6. So... Uh, the Suns are really good when one of their two stars are on the floor and then are pretty average when they're both out there. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. Chris Paul has always been the uh, the RPM on-off god. He's the reason they're winning. You're right. He, just, he is just winning. Still really good on defense. Still super efficient. Can still get him a, bu- a bucket in the clutch when he really needs to. Um and the Suns are really good. I mean, they're fourth. They're, I think they're a legit team, and, and I think they could, you know, get to a second, you know, second round, maybe even conference finals if they get a break or something. So yeah, he's on my team. I love Chris Paul. Uh, yeah, Suns also fifth in the NBA in point differential. So legitimately one of the best teams in the NBA this season. Uh, so uh, I am, uh, I'm, I'm curious to. Well, l- let's get through a couple of the guys we agreed on, and then we'll get to Zion. Uh, so, so Rudy Gobert, I don't think there's much really to say here other than, you know, he's, I think the heavy favorite for defensive player of the year, the jazz are 7.8 points better defensively with Gobert on the floor. And, you know, that, that, uh, that on off data is, is, uh, is even more impressive this season because they have a competent backup in Derek favors. That is a solid defensive center in his own right. So the fact that they're still significantly better with Gobert on the floor on that end is just shows you how dominant of a, uh, a rim protector that he is. And also, you know, there, there's there been so many people that have complained over the years about uh, Gobert's inability to shoot or post up. But, you know, he's playing heavy minutes and playing a key role in a team that's fourth in the NBA in offensive rating. He's been so good this year, it's been ridiculous. And it was interesting because last year... And even the bubble, too. It looked like he lost like a little bit of a step, I thought. And this year, I think he's having one of his better defensive years. I agree, he's a heavy favorite for Defensive Player of the Year. The Jazz are the best team right now. His on-off numbers are ridiculous. He's rebounding. He leads the league in dunks. Uh, they just played the Hornets. And then watching him at the rim, he had one possession where he blocked two shots within like .5 seconds. And it was just like... This is ridiculous. Yeah. Well, we, there's nothing to do here. We can't. We can't. We literally can't get anywhere close. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if you caught the uh, the low post episode where he had John Hollinger on to talk uh, the MVP race, 
and and Zach Lowe was absolutely shocked that, that John Hollinger had Gobert in his top nine in MVP and then said he could be as high as three, but I really don't see what's crazy about that. Again, most valuable player is not best player. It's which guy has provided the most value this season, and frankly, you know, given the role that he has on offense, despite the fact that he rarely ha- has the ball in his hands, he he has a huge role setting a ton of screens and being that uh, rim running and, and that vertical gravity to, to create corner threes. And then defensively that he's doing it with, you know, a, uh, a roster around him that is average to below average probably in terms of defensive talent. I mean, he, he is one of the most valuable players this season. No question. It's not ludicrous. Uh, if he got hurt, they would be just in a world of trouble. So, yeah, I don't think it's crazy. He's awesome. Yeah, we both we both also you know uh, thought Luca was a was a lock. I mean, his numbers are just uh, outrageous. Nearly twenty nine yeah. points a game, over nine assists, eight point six rebounds. Uh, it's interesting, you know his his shooting, which you know is is a danger side for the rest of the league for years to come that his shooting has actually gotten a little bit better. And I think that's something that will take him to just, I mean, he's already pretty unstoppable, but to even more so uh, if his if his shot gets better. But his mid-range percentage, his three-point percentage, his free throw percentage, all of those are up. Uh, the, the one thing that's down for him is actually his uh, effectiveness at the rim. He was at 72% last year. That's down to 64% this season, but I mean, the Mavs are still much better with him on the floor on the offensive end. And, and yeah, I don't, I don't think there's uh, there's much of an argument to, to, to not have him on the team. And then, yeah, we also agreed on, on Paul George as a lock, correct? We did. Yeah. Paul George has been awesome this year, 24, six and five, super efficient. Um, again, like he looks healthier than he has in a little bit too. And then just in total command of his game. I love the way he's playing right now on both ends. I think he has to be a lock. Yeah, just shooting it, shooting it uh, lights out, you know, close to the 50-50-90 club. And, and yeah, yeah, has improved his, uh, his passing as well. Career high assist rate for George at 24.7%. Uh, you know, the, yeah, he has been, uh, he has been phenomenal. Um, so let's get into the uh, let's get into the Zion debate because I'll be honest he was he was my most difficult cut but I had him essentially as my uh, as as my fourteenth guy because again we picked we we each picked thirteen um, given the the Davis injury but uh, yeah make the case for for Zion Williamson and I assume a lot of that is predicated on uh, what we've seen recently with Point Zion. Except that's a lot of it. He's trending upwards, and ever since they give him the ball in his hand, and they're letting him run pick and roll and just bring it up the floor and everything, I've been super impressed. He's, his combination of just athleticism, power, and skill, like he's thrown some nice passes, he's made good decisions, and at the rim, he's just unstoppable. Like He just moves people out of the way, over, through them, whatever, dunks on them. It's just crazy. 25, 6, and 3, and his numbers have been getting better and better as of late. Some, like, 30 and 15 games just coming in. He's absolutely dominant. I know he's not good on defense, and I know the Pelicans aren't very good, but the numbers with the efficiency and that he's trending upwards right now, 
I had to throw him on, and I know this is different, but I can't imagine what he is in a couple of years. I really can't. <laughs> yeah. If he's healthy, of course. Right. Um, yeah, that was the... You brought up all of the, the concerns I had as far as why I had him just missing is the is not only his defense, but also the Pelicans. I mean, they're, they're 29th in, in defensive rating, and they're, also, they're, they're actually a point worse per 100 possessions when Zion's on the floor. So not only are they terrible as a team, but Zion makes them, them, them worse than terrible. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I actually ended up, we're, we're getting to my, um, I've got a couple of guys ahead of uh, this person, but uh, I might as well just mention it. The, the, the last sort of battle I had for the final spot, that, that injury replacement spot, was uh, DeMar DeRozan versus Zion. And I ended up going with DeRozan. Uh, the, I, you know, the Spurs have been, you know, the better basketball team of the two, not only record-wise, but in terms of point differential. Uh, DeRozan having a really good season. Both uh, both DeRozan and Zion have been excellent in terms of getting to the line. Uh, they've both got a free throw rate north of 50. Um, DeMar shooting 57% from long mid-range. And, uh, you know, also a career-high 6.9 assists this season for DeRozan. So, uh, the Spurs, you know, 18th in offense, not that great. But given that you know they've they've missed Derek White for a while, they play some non-shooters like uh, Jakob Pertl and uh, Dejounte Murray uh, in that in the starting lineup. Uh, Lamarcus Aldridge has uh, has missed time and hasn't been nearly as good. So the offensive talent in San Antonio hasn't hasn't been that strong, and and DeRozan has has kept them close to average and allowed them to to win games with their defense. Yeah, I mean, the Spurs have been definitely better than I thought they would be, which I guess is not too surprising because it's very Spursy. Uh, they're frisky. DeRozan's been great, especially, I mean, he really has been a good playmaker for the past couple years now, but I think he's even taken it to another level this year. He was actually my replacement for Anthony Davis. Okay, so yeah, we both had him as the replacement, but yeah, you had Zion, I did not. So... Is, is there anybody else on your team that we haven't mentioned yet? Uh, I had Chris Paul, too. DeRozan's my replacement for AD. And then Donovan Mitchell I have. Okay, so that's perfect. I had, I had Donovan Mitchell as well. I actually, my, um, my final two spots, you know, prior to the injury replacement spot, were uh, Mike Conley and Mitchell in that order. So, you know, as far as, uh, as, far as Conley, you know, he's, he's having a terrific offensive year, shooting 48% from the mid-range, you know, that right-handed patented floater uh, that, uh, that we've seen so many times over the years. That's falling again for him. He's gotten much more comfortable playing and, and passing to the, the lob threat in Gobert. He's shooting 42% from three. And, you know, some of this might be noise because they have lined up uh, Conley's minutes with Gobert for much of the season, but Utah 13.3 points better per 100 with him on the floor. And, you know, Utah was right around a top 10 offense last season. And to me, aside from, you know, the fact that they've gotten a little bit better shooting and they've had a full season of, of Jordan Clarkson so far, uh, I think the big difference between them being like the 10th ranked offense and in, in the top five has been the play of Mike Conley. Mike Conley started this season just was straight lava. The analytics love Mike Conley. He was in my three honorable mentions that I really took a long look. But I, I just 
and I know he's never made it, and I really want him to because I love Mike Conley, but I just never fully, I couldn't get there. Yeah, he's, to me, he's in the same sort of boat as, like, the Chris Paul, where, yeah, the the counting stats don't jump off the page, but it's a lot of the intangible stuff, uh, the efficiency, the, the leadership, a lot of that stuff that I think, you know, just helps teams win basketball games. Which, you know, in reality, you know, we talk about, okay, what's what's your criteria for an all-star? To me, you know, the better player you are, the more you impact winning. So um, that's where, you know, I will always, you know, probably and, and maybe overvalue guys like Chris Paul and Mike Conley and maybe undervalue a, a guy like Zach Levine because, yeah, I just think the counting stats are, are, are nice, but, yeah, I, I want my team to win games. I agree, which is why the Mike Conley versus both DeRozan and Donovan Mitchell was tough. But I went with Mitchell for the second Jazz guy, 24-4-5. and And I feel like in the playoffs, if one of them got hurt, there would be more trouble if Mitchell got hurt than Conley. That was kind of basically my argument. <laughs> okay, and yeah, I mean, Mitchell does have a higher usage rate. He, um, you know, is, is scoring more. He's... He's, uh, you know, he's having a good year. And again, I, I have Mitchell on my team as well. 39% from three, 27.2 assist percentage. That's one thing that I think has been a nice little, it's a, it, it was a minor leap that he's, that Mitchell has taken, but he's gotten a little bit better as a passer in terms of hitting guys, uh, you know, especially those skip passes, those cross court passes, a split second quicker, which, you know, just frees up that drive and kick game that Utah does so well. Um, but, uh, you know, here, here's my argument for why Utah should should have three guys. The Atlanta Hawks in 2015, they were 43 and 11 heading into the All Star break, which is a 79.6 win percentage. The Utah Jazz are 25 and six, which is over 80 percent win percentage. So if the Hawks got four, why can't we give the Jazz three? It's not crazy. It's funny. Everyone's comparing this Jazz team to that Hawks team. I've seen it so many times on Twitter. And um, I, I think they're a little better than Oxine. And I agree, it's it's not crazy. And if all three of them didn't make it in a different world, I would be like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Like, I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have a huge gripe with it. Absolutely. Yeah, as far as, uh, as far as your honorable mentions, or I think you brought up one of them, but uh, who else did you have? So, Mike Conley, Devin Booker, and De'Aaron Fox were my main three. Okay, um... I, uh, I'll, I'll also just uh, mention Shea Gilgis-Alexander having a nice year for the Thunder. And, I do love Shai. And, and then similar to Mike Conley, and it was unfortunate because he got hurt, but a guy that I was really pulling for to, to keep up his play and, and make the all-star team was C.J. McCollum, having a tremendous year, uh, but, but only 13 games prior to the injury, really. Uh, uh, and, and based on my arbitrary, you have to play in half the team's games. He does not qualify. Oh, if he stayed healthy, he would have been on it for sure. The way he started the season was absurd. He was just roasting. And I he reached a level, and I liked CJ a lot, that I didn't even think he could reach. And I was so bummed when he got hurt. Yeah. That, was, that may be the bummer injury of the year so far. Yeah, I mean, CJ just, you know, was has always been this really good mid-range tough shot maker, and he, he essentially just said, "Okay, I'll just I'll just take a bunch of tough threes now and and make them at uh, at really high percentages." And, uh, 
uh, yeah, he was he was fantastic. Oh, and, and one other guy, Jamal Murray. You know, he he got off to a really really slow start, but has has picked it up as of late. Uh, he's probably more on the outside of my honorable mentions, just barely. But uh, you know, based on his recent play, he had that 50 point performance without a free throw attempt against the Cleveland Cavaliers. But uh, b- based on his recent play, he's to me he's gotten on the the fringes of this conversation. Yeah, I mean. He's just so up and down. It's yep. just hard for me to get there. And I, you know, after the bubble last year, everyone thought he would take the big leap. And obviously you still see flashes of the 50-point game. But then he'll throw in like a 3 for 14, 9-point game. And it's just like, what's what's going on? And I think he's been dealing with some bumps and bruises. But I, I couldn't, you know, quite get there. Yeah, and, and the you know beyond just the the disappointing percentages from three and, and all of that, uh, one thing that's the, the most disappointing thing to me is that he showed some really nice playmaking chops in the bubble, and his his passing and, and playmaking skills have have uh, sort of plateaued in this uh, in this twenty twenty one season. Yeah, they, honestly, besides Jokic, everyone's been disappointing on that team. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So uh, Evan, we you know we're uh, we're what about uh, two weeks out from from the actual All Star game, and they've announced that it's going to be just like an All Star day uh, with uh, with the game and the three point and dunk contest all taking place. I believe on the seventh of March. Is that something you're you're looking forward to, or are you kind of in the same mindset with a lot of the players where you're like, why why are you doing this NBA? Yeah, I think it's a why are we doing this NBA. I, I honestly never really watched the All-Star game anyway. Yeah. I think it's only important for when it comes to like guys' Hall of Fame cases. Um, I do enjoy the dunk and three-point contest. I actually like watching those. But overall, like, what, you know, why, why take the risk? Just and announce the rosters. I think that's fine. Yeah, I, I typically, prior to last year, I always just watched the the, the All-Star Saturday night and maybe just uh, had had the All-Star game on in the background as I did other uh, other um, you know, meaningless things. But, uh, <laughs> but um, you know, last year with the Elam ending, though, that was actually, uh, that was actually a great game, and, and they're going to bring that back. It'll be interesting to see, you know, if that Elam ending continues the the trend of the all-star game at least the fourth quarter of the all-star game being entertaining and where you know convincing the players to actually try or you know whether the the idea that all of them are just going to be so unhappy to even be there that we're just going to get another alley-oop fest yeah i did like that idea actually i thought that was fun but my guess it's another alley-oop fest (laughs) all right evan well this was this was a lot of fun thanks so much for for coming on and taking the time Of course, Garrett. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for listening to Duncan Dynasty. Please, if you can, if you have a moment, go to iTunes and uh, give us a rating and review, preferably five stars. And uh, if you could give any thoughts about what you like about the show, that would be much appreciated. We are also on Spotify, so... uh, You can give us a rating on there as well. If you'd like to find some other content outside of this podcast, you can find me on Twitter, at Garrett Bougay. That's G-A-R-R-E-T-T-B-U-G-A-Y. I will be uh, tweeting various uh, NBA thoughts as well as some some thoughts on 
some other uh, interests of mine, including soccer and film and television. So uh, if you're looking for some of my takes throughout the, the course of the week, you can find me there. You can find my co-host Corbin Ford on Twitter at CorbinNBA. That's C-O-R-B-A-N-N-B-A. So uh, he, uh, he does, a, d- does a good job on Twitter as well. He's very active. I'm also doing uh, some work as a contributor for Rip City Project, which uh, does all things Blazers. So if you're looking for some written content, you can check those websites out. Corbin also does his own pod on the side called NBA Today. Uh, he, uh, he does some, some fun work over there, so, so please, I encourage you to check that out. But uh, thanks so much again for, for listening, and have a great rest of your day.